God bless you. It's good to be back again with you today. Thank you so much for coming. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there. So we bring that service to you wherever you are. No matter where you are in Israel or in the world, you can attend these services in the privacy of wherever you are. See what it's all about. Explore the Word of God. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life in His Word. Would you open in your Bibles to the book of Genesis? That's where we're studying today. And we're up all the way up to chapter 6 of the book of Genesis. And that's where we're going to be today. And as you know, we'll also put those verses up here in the video for you just to make it easier for you to follow along. Today we're continuing in the beginning series, in the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. Hasefer Bereshit, the book of beginnings. And today we begin chapter 6. Chapter 6 is the first of a few chapters that talks about the great flood and Noah and the ark, the animals and the great waters that covered the earth and God's judgment of mankind at that time. Let's look at chapter 6. We're only going to go from verse 1 through verse 8 today, but there's a lot there. So fasten your seatbelt and let's get on with it. Verse 1 says, And now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, that the daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Now, there were giants, it says in verse 4 in, in the chapter. And the word, by the way, that they use for the giants is uh, the Nephilim, or the fallen ones. It's Hebrew for the fallen ones. We say in Hebrew, Hunafal, uh, or he fell. Well, these were the ones who fell. And as you remember from some of the other previous lessons in the book of Genesis, in Hebrew, when you have a masculine noun, to, add, to make it a plural instead of a singular, you add im onto the end. And so we have nephilim, or the fallen ones, it says, from the root of nephal in Hebrew. And so we continue in, in, chapter, in chapter 6, verse 4. It says, there were giants in the land at that time. So there were giants. And so we look at that word and it's going to talk more about them, but it's also going to bring up some problems that we have to address. And it's going to be interesting when we address those problems. It says there were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterward, I'm not just talking about tall men. I'm talking about really, really big giants, giants among humans. And it was in those days that these giants were on the earth. And also afterward, it says in verse 4, When the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Now remember these verses. We're going to get into these in a little bit and talk, talk about them in great detail. But those giants in the earth that were in the earth in those days and afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men. Remember, we talked about in the previous chapter of Genesis 
how when they say came into, that was their way of saying they had sexual relationships with the women. They came into the daughters of men. These are the sons of God. So it's going to be interesting now when we study who these sons of God were. And there's going to be some things that are going to surprise you today. Just prepare yourself for that. It says, you can already get some hints. It says, and the daughters of men bore children to them. And they were mighty men who were of old, men of renown. But remember the first part of that verse said, there were giants on the earth in those days and afterward. When the sons of God came into the daughters of men and those women bore children to them. And see, they were giants who were born of the women, of the daughters of men. And these were mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Now when it says mighty men, it's not necessarily talking about good men. In fact, they were evil men. But when it says mighty, they were powerful. Of course, they were big. They were huge compared to regular humans. And so they were going to be stronger. They're going to be much stronger. So they became men of renown. They did amazingly powerful things, did evil things, but they were amazingly power, powerful when they did that evil. Let's continue in verse 5 then. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 6, And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I've made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I want you to read that last verse again. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't earn it. He found it. So let's get into talking about these first eight verses. This is going to be quite a subject that we're talking about today. Genesis 6 1 says, When men begin to multiply on the face of the earth. These were days of rapid population expansion because of the long lifespans in the pre flood world. Remember, Adam and all of these other people were living 800 and 900 years. In fact, Noah's grandfather would have been alive at the same time Adam was. And here Noah was many other generations later. Now you remember what we covered in chapter 5 of the book of Genesis just last week. How it told the story of the gospel. All of those Hebrew names, if you put them in order and you put what each of those names meant, you basically came up with this story when you read just the meanings instead of the names. And it says, man is appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching. His death shall bring the despairing rest or comfort. Well, Noah, Noah, if you remember from last week, is the Hebrew word for rest or comfort. So Noah's name, which is how we say Noah, that's how you say his name in Hebrew, Noah, but Noah is how we say it in English. His name means rest or comfort. Comfort from what? Comfort from the despairing of sin, because man was appointed mortal sorrow. He was created in the image of God, created to live forever in the image of Almighty God, who is eternal spirit. Man was designed to live forever, but sin took that everlasting life away. 
But the blessed God, it had said in <laughs> chapter 5, said the blessed God will come down teaching, as Jesus, of course, did. And His death, He, he atoned for the sins of mankind, His death will bring the despairing, the hopeless, the ones who didn't have everlasting life, who wanted to live forever but couldn't because the sin had robbed them of everlasting life. His death will bring atonement for those sins and bring those despairing, those hopeless ones, rest. And so now we're down to the man whose name is rest, Noah, or as you would say in Hebrew, Nuach. And we get our Hebrew word, la Nuach, to rest. <laughs> if I'm busy and all day long and I get tired in Israel, I just, I just say, I need tzarich la Nuach, akshav. <laughs> so I say, I need to rest, la Nuach, to rest. You hear that Nuach in there? That's Noah. Nuach is how, is how we say Noah in Hebrew. I need to rest, and then I put a now on the end. I need to rest now. The verses say that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. Now, many people today like to believe that the sons of God mentioned here were people from the line of Seth. Remember that Adam and Eve had Cain, and then they had Abel, which is how we say Abel in Hebrew. And Cain killed Abel, his brother. But then after that, his mother, Eve, said that God had given her a new one to replace Abel. And she named him Seth, which in Hebrew, is it's, that S is an S-H-E-T. And so that's pronounced Shet. And Shet was meant appointed in Hebrew. So she said she named him Shet or Seth because God had appointed her a new son to replace Abel. And that's why Seth was named Seth. And it says that the sons of God is what some people refer to as those who descended from Seth, Adam and Eve's third son. Those who descended from the line of Seth. They said, well, that must be the sons of God. And when they married those daughters of men, well, those daughters of men were from the line of Cain. And Cain was evil. He was cursed. And he was evil because he killed his brother Abel or Abel. And so they think that, well, that describes uh, an intermarriage of some sort between the line of Seth and the daughters of Cain. And therefore, since that intermarriage between good people and evil people is forbidden by God, then that's what made God angry and He wanted to destroy the earth. But in reality, the scriptures teach something a little different. And many of the people that believe in the sons of God being the lineage of Seth don't want to face the extraordinary interpretation of the scripture that seems to be that these, instead of sons of humans, they were angels who came down and had sexual relations with human women. And between the godly and the ungodly, you see, actually these ones who came down were the ungodly angels, the fallen angels who had rebelled against God in heaven, and they were cast out of heaven because of that rebellion. 
But these people who believe that the sons of God were Seth, they don't think of the supernatural explanations. Have you ever noticed that there's some so-called liberal Bible scholars who are teaching about God and they say they're teaching about God and they're okay with God creating everything from nothing, but yet somehow they never really like to talk about miracles that God does. They don't believe in miracles. They don't believe He does those. They don't believe He does them anymore. What is it? Did He just get so old? Did He forget how to, to do those miracles? Is He not powerful anymore? No, He's everlasting. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's just as all-powerful today as He was then, as He was in the beginning of time. But some of these people don't like to talk about supernatural things from the Bible. They like to come up with logical explanations that does not give the glory to God, but that gives it to some other circumstance or coincidence. They like to think that God doesn't really do those miracles and that, see, they like to give the glory to man in one way or another. Many liberal scholars, it all comes down to this. They may say that they're theologians, and theologians, obviously theologia is, is study. They like to think that they study about God, but they really don't acknowledge God. In fact, everything they do in their theology is really trying to disprove the existence and the power and the all-knowing wisdom of God. But there is an explanation in this chapter for what happened in these first few verses that is extraordinary, and we're going to look at that. They claim that these godly were just women from Cain's lineage and, and sons from Seth's lineage, and that's all it meant. But if you think about it, God doesn't think any of us are godly. The Bible is full of verses that say that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there's two verses in Psalms, says it again in Isaiah, that God looked to see if there was any righteous, any good, any that sought God all the time. And sadly, it says He found none, no, not one. So the fact that they are saying that, well, these godly people are from Seth's line, actually, no, the Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, the Bible teaches that none are godly. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. So also the intermarriage between Seth's line and Cain's line, that's not enough to make God want to destroy all the life on earth except for the eight people that were in the ark and Noah and his wife and Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons and their wives, the eight people in the ark and all those animals. And why was there something unnatural about the offspring of these unions there that we're talking about where the sons of God came into the daughters of men? You know what I mean. There were giants. They had babies that turned out to be huge giants in these relationships. They wouldn't have gotten that from the lineage of Seth, that's for sure. No, these were fallen angels. And that's exactly what the Bible says, and we're going to go into that. But the Old Testament is full of the references of giants. It speaks about the Rephaim. It speaks about the Anakim. And the Anakim, by the way, that word Anak, you hear Anak in Anakim. Well, Anak is the modern Hebrew word for giant. And Anakim, when you add that im on the end, that I am on the end, it just makes the singular verb or, or noun plural. 
So Anak becomes Anakim when there's more than one Anak. When there's more than one giant, it becomes giants or Anakim. You see, the theories about the sons of God being the sins of Seth just doesn't answer these questions about those giants and why God would destroy all the earth because Seth, uh, Seth's sons married Cain's daughters. That doesn't answer any of the questions. Look at all the evil that's being done today and why hasn't God destroyed the earth yet again yet if that was so severe at that time? So it says that the sons of God saw the daughters of men it's more accurate to see the sons of God as fallen angels in rebellion against God. And we'll cover that a little more in the Hebrew in just a little bit. It's more accurate to see the sons of God mentioned here in these verses as fallen angels in rebellion against God and the daughters of men as human women. The phrase sons of God clearly refers to angelic creatures when it's used the other three times in the Old Testament. In the book of Job, in chapter 1, verse 6, chapter 2, verse 1, and chapter 38, verse 7. That's where that same phrase in the Hebrew is used. And the Hebrew that's used there is B'nai Elohim. B'nai Elohim. Now maybe you've heard of the name Benjamin. Well, in Hebrew, you would pronounce that Ben-Yamin. Ben is son. Yamin is right. Small is left. Yamin is right. So B'nai Yamin, or Ben Yamin, is Benjamin. And that's what uh, the patriarch named his son when Rachel, his wife, died, named his youngest son, Joseph's younger brother, named him Benjamin, Ben Yamin, because out of the two wives that he had, Rachel and Leah, Rachel was his favorite. And so he named that young boy that was born when his mother lost her life giving birth to him, he named that young boy Benjamin, our son of my right, son of my right hand. That's what that meant. But here in Genesis, it's using not Ben, but it's using a different form of Ben. It's using Benay, Benay Elohim. Now here's the way we use that term in Hebrew. If I were to go to a coffee shop in Tel Aviv, Israel, I would go to the Beit Cafe. Beit is place. Cafe is coffee. Place of coffee. And so a coffee shop is called a Beit Cafe. Beit Cafe. Now, if I come to Tel Aviv and, and I want to know from somebody if there's a lot of uh, coffee shops close by, I, I would say... Uh, I would say yesh yesh sorry yesh yesh bate cafe Tel Aviv yesh bate not bate cafe but bate cafe because that means coffee shops coffee shops in general is there coffee shops in Tel Aviv I would be saying I'm not saying is there a coffee shop in in Tel Aviv I'm not saying yesh bate cafe but Tel Aviv Yes? Oh, no. Okay, and so I'm saying, is there a coffee shop in Tel Aviv? But when I say bait, bate instead of bait, I'm saying, is there coffee shops in Tel Aviv? Yes, bate cafe, bate Tel Aviv. 
<laughs> because I want a cup of coffee, you see. So instead of Ben, this uses that same thing with the EI on the end, and it says it as Bene. Instead of Ben, it's Bene. So Bene Elohim, the Hebrew means sons of God. Elohim, of course, God. Bene, sons of God. Bene Elohim. So it says, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men. They had these offsprings that were giants. Now, it's interesting that in our translations today, it says sons of God. But in fact, the translators of the Septuagint, which was translated before Christ, and actually those people were closer to the original language and the original Hebrew than any scholar is today, and they are considered to be more expert in their translation and knowledge of the words that were used. The translators of the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament by Hebrew scholars, was translating the sons of God as angels. It didn't call them sons of God. It says the angels. When the angels came down, it said. And they knew that verb. They knew that, um, that word. They knew the way it was used. And they were highly familiar with that language, much more so than modern day scholars. The translators of the Septuagint were much more familiar with the common uh, ancient language of Hebrew at that time. And they were the closest people to the time of the scriptures. So they were considered to have the best understanding of what the original language really meant. They clearly thought it referred to angelic beings and not people descended from Seth. Now in the New Testament, in the book of Jude... Jude chapter 6, or Jude 6, sorry, tells us that the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own tab habitation. He tells us about these angels who didn't stay where they were supposed to stay, but they left and they went to this other habitation and did these things. And Jude goes on to tell us that they sinned in a similar manner to these. Having given themselves over to sexual immorality, he said, and going after strange flesh. In other words, and going after beings that were not like them. So just like in Sodom and Gomorrah, in Genesis chapter 6, we see an unnatural sexual attraction and a sexual union. Now Jude chapter 6, or Jude 6, tells us what God did with these wicked angels. He said there were reserved and everlasting chains under darkness. From the judgment of the great day, they're reserved to judgment. At one time, God will take them out and judge them, and they will be judged along with Satan. By not keeping their proper place, they are now kept in chains by Almighty God. Now, some people say, well, wait a minute. In Matthew 22, verse 30, doesn't it say that Jesus said angels neither marry nor are given in marriage? Well, that's true. But these angels... We're not talking about marriage. They just had sexual relations. They weren't trying to marry. They were trying to do something far more sinister. And we'll talk about that in a minute. These relations between fallen angels and human women was what was going on. There was no marriage involved. There was no love involved. And remember Genesis 2 said, Adam had said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall be one flesh. What was Adam talking about? He was talking about marriage. He was talking about the two becoming one. 
But he didn't say, for this reason, an angel shall live his domain and be joined to a wife. He said, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, you see. So that marriage doesn't apply to those angels at all. That's not what they had in mind. They had in mind something far more sinister. That's God's definition of marriage all the way from Genesis chapter 2. But these angels weren't human, so they didn't fall under that definition of man. No, it seems rather that Satan sent his fallen angels, those that followed him in rebellion against God. A third of the angels followed him and were cast out of heaven by God. There was a battle in heaven and Michael the archangel prevailed for God's side. And Satan and his fallen angels that followed him, one third of all the angels, were cast down to the earth. And now these angels who had fallen were demons. They were demonic. Now Satan is trying to get even with God, but God's all-powerful. We've talked about this before. Satan can't do anything to hurt God. So what does he do? Like we said before, he tries to hurt those whom God loves. He tried to pollute the genetic pool of mankind, the human gene pool, with an evil mutation of some sort to put a genetic change there to make the human race unfit for bringing forth the Messiah. And remember what he was called in Genesis chapter 3 when God was cursing the serpent and telling him that the seed of the woman is going to come and is going to crush his head. He said, you'll bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. The seed of the woman, that's the Messiah. Satan was trying to pollute that to where there were people, to where the entire evil uh, spread of this genetic mutation or genetic pollution, if you will, would spread to include all mankind, then this, the Messiah wouldn't be able to be born of anyone because he couldn't be born of a demonic mother, you see. But God had people that weren't touched by this. And even though a lot of this had spread over all the earth, it was so bad, in fact, that Satan's plan almost succeeded. The human race became so polluted that God found it necessary to destroy all life and to start again with Noah and his sons and wives. People whose ancestors had, who had not been affected by the fallen angels out of all the world at that time that was greatly increasing in population, only eight people were saved and then all those animals also in the ark. And God then imprisoned those fallen angels or demons so that they couldn't ever do this again. Now, I'm completely aware of how crazy this all sounds. But I want you to understand something. There's a very real, unseen war going on behind the scenes. It's a war between the forces of good and the forces of evil. It's a war between the forces of God and the forces of the devil. It's a war between the angels of God and the fallen angels of Satan. And it's a war for the souls of men and women, those created in God's image, who originally were created to live forever. It's a war that Satan knows God will win. Satan knows his time is short. He knows he can't prevail against almighty, all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful God. And because Satan can't hurt God, he seeks to destroy those whom God loves. So even today, 
especially today, since Satan's time is short today, there is a war for the souls of men and women. And Satan is always there to tempt people into sin and try to keep them away from God. But the Son of God, the Son of God, Yeshua HaMashiach, became a man and gave his life to save mankind and restore them to himself, even to all who would simply believe on his name. Today there's a choice to make, a choice between everlasting life and eternal life. Today, today, choose life. Choose life. Then in Genesis 6, verse 3 through 4, as we continue, it reads, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man forever. For indeed he is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. And this says there were giants in the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men. You see, there it is again. When the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them, and those children were giants. You read it, it's right there. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Not righteous men, certainly powerful men, but evil men. They were the children of fallen angels and the union with human women. Now, God did not allow the human race to stay in this rebellious place forever. Remember, we talked about it. If man was allowed to live forever through the years, he would just get more evil and more evil and more evil, even the same person. So God, in his mercy, limited their life to 120 years. And we talk about that in this verse because it seems to say that, well, it does say that God is, is saying from this point on, Man is going to get to the point to where he doesn't live more than 120 years. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't know many people 120 years. You know, now I, I, I can't say that I'm, I'm not 60 years old. I'm a little north of that, in fact. And people say, well, you're just mid middle, <laughs> middle aged, and I, I'd say I'd feel a lot better than that if I knew more people that were 140, but I don't. Yeah, 120 is, you see people that are 115 and 16 sometimes, and those are the record holders for the oldest human beings on earth, and then very quickly after they receive their prize for being the oldest, they're not there anymore to say anything more about it. So it doesn't take, you know, you don't have to look around too much to, to find out that there's no people reaching 120 anymore. But that happened gradually after God made this pronouncement about 120 years being the limit in Genesis chapter 6. You find, if you look at the book of Genesis and start reading from there, you'll find that the people who lived, as it lists how long they lived, you'll find that they lived less and less and less time to where the people who used to live 800, 700, 600, and then all the way down to 500, 400, 300, then 175, 130. You find that this gradually becomes the rule. But there's something else you may be missing. There's actually something else that also a lot of people don't realize. And that's that when God said, yet their days shall be 120 years, it turns out from the time that he made that announcement, until the time of the flood where he destroyed all mankind except for Noah and his sons and their wives. From the time of this announcement in Genesis 6 to the time the flood destroyed everybody else was 120 years. 
So yes, there are dual fulfillments in some of the things that God has said. In some prophecies we see through the scriptures, there can be what we call dual fulfillments. And I hear people argue all the time about, well, which one is it? What's the fulfillment? Was it this over here or was it this over here? Was it this that happened 150 years after that prophecy? Or was it this other thing that happened 500 years after that prophecy? Here's what I'm saying. Prophecies can have dual fulfillment at times too. Now, both of those can be the fulfillment or one might have been the one that God was talking about, but yet the other also fulfilled it. There are things that happen that are prophesied in the scriptures that can have dual fulfillment in the scripture. And we don't know why. We don't know uh, what the reason for doing that is, but there's definitely those things that we see. The Antichrist is going to proclaim himself to be God. But then we see that the one guy that uh, had a pig uh, slaughtered and offered on the altar of God, that he claimed to be God too. You know, so you see these things, and it seems like both of those fulfilled the prophecies of, that would happen about that person. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't make God wrong. In fact, he's right both times. Regardless of which one or both that he meant, he's right. If it wouldn't have happened at all, then there would have been a problem. But God is always right, and His prophecies are always faithful and true, and they will come to pass in their time. But the other thing that we need to look at in these scriptures is God is pronouncing to Noah that there's going to be a time when He's going to destroy all flesh in a thing called a flood. Now, Noah didn't have rain in those days. He didn't know what a flood was. He didn't have the stuff that we did that makes the water rise up in the streets and all these floods accumulate in the mountains and fall down upon the prairies and the land and flood, flood everything. He didn't have that. They didn't have that at that time. But it said that a mist used to come up from the ground and water the ground. And that's how plants and things would get watered. Remember, we talked about the protective shield or protective covering around the earth and how that during the time of the flood, that might have been what was destroyed. And since it would have been water ice in space and space is near absolute zero, the ice, the water would have been frozen. It would have been ice in a shield or a bubble around the earth and that would have protected it, the earth against cosmic radiation. The same cosmic radiation that if you didn't have that ice shield there, cosmic radiation would get in, mutate the genes in your body, and eventually generation after generation would become weaker and more sickly and would die at a younger age. That's what happened after the flood. So, you know, take that for what it's worth to you. But it looks like to me, that's what was going on. That's what was happening there. When the time of the flood, God probably somehow destroyed that shield. It fell itself, all that water ice that was above the earth. And it was bigger than the earth because it had to be, because it encapsulated the entire earth. So it was larger than the whole sphere of the earth. And now it falls down to the earth. As it falls, it warms and becomes what? Water. And now floods, and then God said the fountains of the deep would be broken up at the same time, and that they would be released and flood all this water. We're going to get into a huge amount of detail next week when we talk about the ark and its size. I'm even going to tell you how many animals it held. 
I'm going to tell you what kind of animals it held. You may think that there's tens of thousands of species, but there's only so many families of those species. And then those species can be different from one another in the same family. For instance, a dog. Dogs can be bred to look one way or the other, to be tall or to be small, to be brown or to be white or black, or any number of things that have pointed ears or rounded ears. They take them and breed them selectively so that they have these different looking dogs. But they're all dogs. They're from the canine family and they're all dogs. And the ark could hold all of these families. I won't get into detail. I'll go into the detail in the science next week. But I'll tell you this much. If you do the math on the size of the ark, how many families of species there are, how many families at the very top of the species list, you'll find out that all of the families, all of two of each of the families, could have fit in half of the space of the ark. We'll go through the math later. God will not wait forever for people to repent and turn to Him. That's the point of what we're reading today. There is a point to where He'll say, no more. You've had enough time to turn to God, and you didn't turn to God. And that's why you need to give your life to the Lord today, now, while you still have the opportunity. Now, the giants that were on the earth in those days refers to the unnatural offspring of the union between the sons of God and the daughters of men. And those giants are going to cause a lot of problems later on, the genetic mutations there that somehow surface. And we're going to talk about those later too. But these ones before the flood were unique because of the demonic element of their parents, of the fallen angels that came down. They were the mighty men of renown, but don't read anything good into that. That term mighty doesn't mean good. Like we said, oh, they were powerful, but they were evil. They were greatly wicked, and God had cast them out of heaven. The great wickedness in the days of Noah. That's what we're talking about. Now, you remember that the Lord said, just like it was in the days of Noah, they were marrying, they were given in marriage, they were eating, they were drinking, and they didn't know until the flood came and took them all away. We have evil all over today. It said in chapter 6 in the verses we read, God looked at man and says every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now that says a lot right there, doesn't it? It says that every thought was corrupted by sin. Let me ask you this. In today's world, with global communication and the ability to see and to listen to whatever you can imagine, right there on your computer, right there on your smartphone, right there on that television and the advertising all around you. In today's world, is there always something there to try to capture your every thought and to take your attention away from God? Can you see it at work? Can you see the plan of the evil one at work to keep you from thinking about God, to keep you from asking about His salvation so that you can be saved and live forever? Do you see the enemy's plan? If you ever had some moment of time and some peace of mind and you thought about it, you might turn to God. And the enemy doesn't want you to do that. He wants to kill you. We've talked about this. He wants to destroy you. He came to kill, steal, and destroy. That's why he's here. But the Son of God came 
that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And only by giving your life completely to the Lord and staying in His Word can you be saved. In the New Testament, Jesus said, So as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, there was a lot of evil around in the days of Noah. And that's why God had to judge the earth. You be the judge. You tell me, is there a lot of evil around you today? Do you have more opportunity for evil today than Noah and the people did then? Are all of your thoughts distracted from God? Are all of your thoughts about yourself, the lust of your eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life? Are all of the things about the things that choke out your fruit to God? Are all the things like that what concerns you? Are those the things that you think of as you start to fall asleep at night? Are those the things that you plan for and work toward during the day? Or are you seeking God? Are you seeking the one who has everlasting life for you? The population was exploding back then. There was sexual perversion. There was demonic activity. There were constant evil in the heart of man, widespread corruption and violence. And the Lord said he was sorry that he made man. It grieved him in his heart. Now, God didn't make a mistake. He made man with choice. And then he sat back and saw what man would choose to do. And when he saw man choose sin and choose to turn away from God, it broke his heart. He knew from the beginning of time what man would do. But on the other hand, now man would know his need for God. And now men would know how much God loves him because he gave his only begotten son to save man from that sin. And his only begotten son, being righteous and without sin, took man's sin upon himself that he might be saved by believing in the Messiah, the Son of God. God knew what he was doing. I love that verse that we ended on. It says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God found one man that he could use to begin again. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I want you to look at that word again. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Notice something. It does not say Noah earned grace in the sight of the Lord. No, he found it. God had given it to him to find if he would seek after God. And he sought after God and he found the grace that God had put there for him to find. Doesn't he say in Jeremiah, the Lord says, seek me. You shall seek me and you shall find me when you search for me with all your heart. You'll find him when you search for him with all your heart. No one earns God's grace, but you can find it. It's in his son, Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua, HaMashiach. And all who believe on him will be saved and will be given everlasting life in heaven forever with God. Everlasting joy everlasting peace, everlasting life to all who give their life to God. Why don't you give your life to God today, right now?
If you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry and He'll answer you. He'll rescue you from that darkness you're in. He'll shine His light on your heart. And you'll be given newness of life. He'll change you into a new person. Throw away all that bad history, all that baggage you've got there with you, all those bad memories and uh, things that guilt that tag along with you and that weigh you down. You'll be made completely new, given a new start, and He'll give you everlasting life in heaven. That's His promise, His guarantee given to you by God Himself. We want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace in your life today. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. Just pray something like this. You can repeat after me. Say, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I believe on your Son, Jesus Christ is Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, God heard you. In fact, He's already started working in your life. A little seed's been planted deep down in your heart. And just like seeds do, you don't see it growing above the ground right away. But over time, you'll begin to see the wonderful changes that God's making in your life. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about God every day in His Word. Talk to Him every day in prayer. I'll tell you, you can remember this is God's promise for you. He will do wonderful things in your life.